podcast of Antioch Church in Colorado Springs. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to support the work we're doing in Colorado Springs, you can give online at our website, antiochcos.com. We hope that the Lord ministers to you through this message. Today, we are jumping into the final message of our series on Jesus and money. And we have a lot to cover, so we thought we'd try and do this as a conversation, maybe force us both to just pull the best out of each of us, and uh, hopefully this helps to tie some bows on some of the themes throughout the messages of this series, as well as give us a foretaste of some things to come. Pastor Jay, do you want to lead us in just a brief uh, series recap? Yeah, absolutely. So for those of you who might be joining us today for the very first time, like Jonathan said, we have been on a series where we are diving into some of the theological and biblical positions around money. And some of this came out of both of us having um, an understanding and a realization that uh, we've never done a full-blown series on money in Antioch. And none of that has been intentional. None of that has been um, out of fear. It's just, we just really haven't thought about it. I think we assumed that because we give anywhere from a five to 10 minute uh, exhortation around our giving on a weekly basis, we assumed that that was enough and um, one of the rhythms that we have around here at Antioch is our members, we just started this this year, our members get together on a quarterly basis. And um, at our last family talk meeting, our, our last membership meeting, um, a lot of questions around money came up um, because we were introducing to our members a, a path towards increased generosity and uh, an increased faith around giving. And then we opened up for a time of Q&A and a lot of questions came forward and we realized we might need to do a series on money. And we just threw it out there and almost got a unanimous like, yes, can we have a series on money? So uh, I'd like to begin by saying this series is not complete. I mean, Jesus had, or in the scriptures, there's over 2,300 verses on money alone. Jesus talked about it more than heaven. He talked about it more than hell. Um, He talked about money a lot. And um, the more we got into this, I think the more we realized that um, money makes the world go round in so many ways, right? We need money to function um, in the world. And so we also realize that each and every one of us has a relationship with money, whether we realize that we have one or not. So um, a couple of things that stood out to me in this series, and Jonathan, you can also speak into this, that maybe weren't on my radar as heavily as... Uh, as they are now, is guys, money is very, very spiritual. Um, maybe I should say that our relationship or our, our affiliation, our connection, our attitude towards money is deeply spiritual and it is deeply emotional. And that was not as, that was not as clear to me as before. I think I just said, mom, money's just a resource. It's physical. Um, I use it from time to time. But Jesus talked Uh, very, very consistently about the insidious nature of money and how it can um, just kind of seep into our hearts. And before we know it, 
uh, turn our hearts to where we are desiring wealth more than we're desiring him, where we're making moves out of fear, where we're not making moves out of fear, uh, where we kind of uh, set up money as, as an idol in our lives, where we look to money or what money can purchase for us as a, as a replacement for our own identity in Christ, uh, where money reveals whether or not we have trust in the Lord or trust in our ability to make money. I mean, all of these things are heart issues. Yeah, and something that stood out to me just from our opening conversation, we met six or eight weeks ago and just started to talk about all of the things that might be of interest to us and that we think we should share. And something that became clear to me was that we can be enslaved to money with any amount, that, that there is no secure amount of money where you are out of the woods from its power. And that we can be enslaved with little, we can be enslaved with much, and we can be enslaved with what by American standards would be a very normal amount of income. And that God's goal for us is not to be poor. God's goal for us is not to be wealthy. God's goal for us is not to be just normal human beings. God's goal is that we not be enslaved to money, that we be free from its power, and that we be people who are hospitable and generous. And I think for each of us, recognizing that there there is no perfect amount for happiness or for freedom, that whatever we have, we can learn to be content with, even if we grow in our wealth and in our finances, or if in seasons we decrease in our growth of wealth and finances. So, Absolutely. So God will use money to show us where our hearts are at. God will use money to show us uh, things that may need to be healed. And God will also use money to disciple us. And to lead us and invite us into greater discipleship with him. He will use money to teach us how to be more responsible, how to be better stewards, how to be more creative. He will use money to, um, to show us maybe where there's generational patterns in our family that need to be broken and reinstituted. So uh, money is very, very important to the Christian life. Um, so today we're going to talk about growing into generous givers. And we're going to end our six-week series. We've not talked a lot about giving. We've not talked a lot. Actually, we've not talked much at all about the tithe or about offering. And typically, I think most series around money, most Christians have a little bit of PTSD because uh, we just assume we're just going to talk about the tithe and offering, and those things are good. I've learned a lot about the tithe and offering that uh, I hope to share this morning that I think will be liberating and freeing and hopefully inspiring. Um, but as Jonathan and I were preparing for today, one of the things that we identified was we might be assuming that everybody wants to be a generous giver. <laughs> so we're, we're going to talk about all these amazing ways that we can become generous givers. And I stopped and I said, Jonathan, I think we're just assuming that people want to be generous givers. So um, today what I think we should do is talk a little bit about why generosity matters and, and why we should even desire to be generous. Yeah, I think that's a good thing to talk about. <laughs> so, um, well, there's a couple of things that we, we want to share, and we're just going to flip and flop back and forth here. But one thing I thought was really fascinating is that when we think about Christians and, and Christianity throughout history, um, 
there really is, on the whole, a trajectory of Christians are, generally speaking, very generous people throughout, across the spectrum from Catholicism to Eastern Orthodoxy and Protestantism. I mean, think of all the hospitals and all of the charities, particularly around almsgiving and helping people, that if the church ceased giving generously, how many literally billions of people would go unhelped? So I want us to recognize that there there are things in our history and in our tradition that spur us on toward generosity. But I do think that there are some difficulties uh, as Americans, a couple of just really brief statistics that were eye-opening to me. American Christians in the 1990s spent more than double on fresh-cut flowers as foreign missions. We spent twice as much in a decade on fresh cut flowers than we did on foreign missions. Uh, The average American gives 1.6 to 2% of their income. And you know what the the average American Christian gives? 2.4% of their income. And then lower income earners give substantially more percentage wise than higher income earners. So these are just some things to be aware of. Now, we haven't spoken to why we should, but before we make assumptions about who we are, it's good to know some of these things. So I think I would say, Pastor Jade, one of the reasons that we should want to be generous givers is because God's nature is a generous giver. That God is, that, that God doesn't do anything with us based on transactions or earning. I mean, think about the most important things in our lives, even apart from Christianity, our name, our family, where we are, all of these things are given to us, essentially. They are appointed for us. They are not things that we earn. They're not things that we purchase. They are the things that are bestowed upon us at birth. And then in the Christian walk, like forgiveness, salvation, mercy, grace, the empowerment of the spirit, Jesus in our hearts. I mean, all of these things are, they flow from the generosity of God, whether we earn them or not. I mean, we know that we could never earn them, but there is anything at all around us because God is generous, because God has no need. There is nothing that we provide for God that he needs So because we exist at all, it's because God is generous and he wants us to share in his love and in his relation in the Trinity and with one another. So we only exist and the church only exists because God is inherently generous. I love that. And I want to get back to that because I think that really becomes, I think, a centering point for any of the spiritual disciplines, whether we're talking about prayer or worship Um, And and again, I will say that this is something that has been highlighted to me is that I've never looked at uh, the tithe, the offering or almsgiving as a as a quote unquote spiritual discipline. Uh, So for those of us good evangelicals who have read Celebration of Disciplines, I think we have a category for prayer and scripture and fasting, even though we like to just tuck that one way, 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 way back here. Okay, silence, solitude. But I have never thought about uh, any of the rhythms of giving as a form of discipline that shapes and conditions my heart to become more like Christ. So I want to explore that concept here in a few minutes. Um, Jonathan, as you were talking, um, what stood out to me as well is that one of the motivations, the motivating factors for a desire to be generous is that we as Christians have an opportunity to invest into something that people outside of Christ do not have an opportunity to invest in. And that, that is we can invest into eternity. 
So when we, when we really get down into the nuts and bolts of our budgets, when we really get down into analyzing where our money goes, and how many of you guys have ever uh, sat down and just took inventory of your spending, and then you had one of those holy junk moments where you're like, really, I spent X amount of dollars, maybe, maybe it was like hundreds of dollars on eating out. Like you ever done that? Or when you sat down and you took inventory and you realized, wow, you know, a three to four dollar coffee every day multiplied by, you know, a five day work week, you know, over a period of a month, that's $75 or so, right, that I just spent in one month on coffee, I mean, little things like that. And this is, why I think, this is why I think money matters because when we pull back and we take inventory and we make strategic adjustments, well, then we actually position ourselves to invest into eternity in a more strategic and a more intentional matter. In fact, Colin, I know you're just sitting back there like, are you guys ever going to go to the Bible today? Yes. So will you, <laughs> will you pull up Matthew chapter six for me? And I know that we've looked at this verse throughout the series, but I think it would be good for us to look at one more time along these lines, Matthew chapter six, verse 19. 619, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. Now, the scriptures are not saying that we should not operate in the wisdom of savings. All right, the scriptures are not saying, I mean, all throughout, and if we have time in another series in the future, we'll talk about the wisdom and the discipline of savings and delayed gratification and preparing for a rainy day and emergency funds and not going into debt because of wisdom and all of that. But the scripture is saying, don't just accumulate, accumulate, accumulate and hoard and hoard and hoard. And then without even knowing it, we begin shifting our trust into the security that we've built in our savings account. Instead of being able to say, I'm saving for emergencies, but my trust ultimately is in God. All right, that's so. I just want to be clear there. Uh, Verse 20, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. What is he saying? He's saying that we have an opportunity to do what no other person outside of Christ can do. And that is with intentionality, with foresight, with planning, and with strategic giving, building margin into our budgets we actually have the opportunity to affect things that are going to last forever, not just the moment. So I think that should be a motivating factor on why we should want to be generous. Uh, one more thought here is that, guys, um, God is the owner of all of it. We said this last week, Psalm 24, verse 1 says, uh, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And so, because, first of all, do we, do we agree with that? Do we agree that he is the owner of it all? So if he is the owner of it all, that even every dollar that we make, uh, whether, whether we, um, I, I mean, listen, let's be really, really honest. We all work hard. We wake up early. We put in long hours. Uh, we give our, our best of our creativity and our gifts and our talents uh, so that we can earn generous amounts of income. But no matter what we earn, even that belongs to God. Because it is a gift from him. Your income is a gift to you from God. There is no such thing as a self-made person. Your ability to generate income comes from God. And that can be gone in a moment. And I'm not saying that God's a mean God and he's going to smite us to prove this point, but I'm just letting us know perspective-wise here, the breath in our lungs, uh, eyes that see, the opportunities that you had to go to schooling. Yes, you worked hard, but yes, God has given you the ability to do that. It's a both and. 
And so everything that comes into our pockets, guys, it belongs to God. And that is motivation for us to desire to be generous. Just one thing I want to touch on with the spiritual disciplines is that I, the way that I grew up, I, I think I assumed a lot of thing, things about the disciplines, that the more time that I do, it, it was very transactional in my mind, that if I read the word, then I will be transformed. And the missing piece there is the Holy Spirit. And I think we have to recognize that the disciplines set us up and put us in position to be touched and transformed. In and of themselves, they really are just actions. They're religious things that, that we do apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if we can learn to view giving in that way, then we can start to see that when we come to a place where we are recognizing that all that we have is from God and we make a conscious act to give that to God, whether that's through the church or another place, which we're gonna talk about here in just a few minutes, what we're doing is we're putting ourselves in a position to be moved by the spirit in these ways. So it's not something that's automatic. I was meeting with another pastor this week who said the spiritual dis disciplines, we tend to view like the, the acceleration of a motorboat, that it's certain seasons that we can press into the disciplines and we can make this thing go. But essentially that is us harnessing the power ourselves. And the spiritual disciplines in the Christian life are much more like a sailboat. They're about positioning ourselves to catch the wind of the Spirit. But we, in and of ourselves, and the disciplines in and of themselves, don't contain any power at all. They put us in a position to be moved by the Spirit, which for us ends in being shaped into the image of Jesus. So we want to be clear that we're not, we're not saying if you give, these things are going to happen in your life, that you will be a more Christ-like person. But when you come to the place of being able to part with what is already God's, when you get to that place and you submit it to him, you're saying, Holy Spirit, I'm trying to catch the wind. I'm trying to catch the place that you are moving me into for myself and for my family and for this community. Um, so Pastor Jade, let's talk about the tithe, shall we? Let's get nitty gritty, all right? Um, so the tithe is predominantly found in the Old Testament. There are references in the New Testament. Uh, can you give us just a brief synopsis of what it is, what its purpose was, and then how should we view it today? Can you do all that in just a second or yeah, two? Yeah, just one second. Okay. Uh, so for those of us who are not very familiar with the Old Testament and not familiar with Old Testament law and Old Testament covenant, very, very simply, the children of Israel, when they came out of 400 years of slavery and God was establishing them into a nation and to be a people, and, he, and he, gave them, he gave them rules, he gave them directions, he gave them laws. And one of those laws was how to, how to handle their money. They didn't have resources prior to that, right? They were slaves to Pharaoh. And so everything that they earned, they never got to keep any of that. And now all of a sudden they're in a position where they can begin growing crops. They're in a position where they have resources where they can steward, but they've not been trained for 400 years. They've not been trained on what to do now with, with income, with stuff. And so God teaches them. And from a very, very early age, he says, everything that you earn percentage-wise, 10% of that is going to go to the funding of my temple and my Levites. And the Levites were the people who they had no portion of land. So out of 12 tribes, one of those tribes, the tribe of the Levites, 
were a people that worked exclusively on uh, the priestly duties for the people of Israel. Uh, the carryover today would be those that are in full-time vocational ministry, and, and I would probably localize that to full-time vocational ministry in a, in a church context, and, and we could banter back and forth on, on nuances of that. Um, so that, that would be the kind of the, the modern counterpart. And so as a, as a, at a young age, I mean, without diving into all the Levitical laws, my mom was just like, Hey, whatever you earn 10% goes to God, goes to the church. And so that discipline was just formed in my life. And, um, here's some discoveries I just want to make, I want to share with you guys very, very quickly, because I, I grew up kind of in a tradition. I grew up where, um, there, there was a lot of emphasis on giving time, um, being a word of faith churches, a lot of probably some abuses here on how we handled some of this. And to be very, very honest, you guys, a lot of fear around the tithe. Anybody grow up in church environments where there was fear around, if you do not tithe, you are, you're cursed. Okay. And, and then, so all of a sudden, right now, nobody wants to be cursed. <laughs> so, so we're, we're giving not motivated by love. We're giving not motivated by devotion or worship. We're giving not motivated by gratitude. We're giving not motivated out of allegiance and putting our trust in God. We're giving out of fear, right? And so um, I think that's huge for us to recognize. I think it's huge for us to recognize that, that the tithe, I personally believe the tithe from Old Testament to New, if we, take it, if we take a view of scripture as the entirety of scripture is forming our lives and the entirety of scripture is revealing truth and the entirety of scripture is bringing wisdom into helping us discover Jesus and draw us close to him, well, I'm gonna look at the entirety of scripture to shape my views on, on money and giving. What has shifted super, like, significantly for me is that it is no longer based, A, off of fear, and number two, it's no longer based off of this manipulative ploy that now I'm attaching um, certain uh, 30, 60, 100 fold, like you have to bless me now because I do this. No, the tithe is a privilege. The tithe is an opportunity. The tithe is a prophetic declaration. The tithe says to the world, it says to me, it says to my budget, it says to my family that God owns all of my finances. The tithe is the most significant act of trust in my finances because of this, because scripturally the tithe was always supposed to be first. The tithe was not supposed to be, hey, spend everything on paying, paying the debt for your, your circumstance or paying the debt for your irresponsibility, my irresponsibility, because I have been irresponsible at times. So it's not, hey, pay all of these things, pay the government first, pay your house mortgage first, pay your food first. And then if there's anything left over, let me just tell you right now, there will never be anything left over for God. If we put, if we put giving to God at the bottom of our budget, I, I'm just here to tell you today, you'll never have 10% to give. Like, I won't even have 1% to give if I put it at the bottom. That's why the tithe is a declaration of God. My trust is in you. Now, I mean, there's dozens of stories here. I'm just gonna share two. In Genesis chapter four, um, we see the first demonstration of giving in the Old Testament, uh, Cain and Abel, right? And I, I, I wish I had time to kind of get down into the weeds on this, but Cain gives an offering and the scripture says it like this. It says that Abel brought, in fact, 
Colin, just very quickly, go to Genesis chapter four, if we could. And let's just, some of these words I think are very important for us just to see. Genesis chapter four, verse one, in the course of time, blah, blah, blah. They have another baby and so on and so forth. And <laughs> All right, now the man knew his wife, Eve. Let's go to verse two. Uh, next, she bore his brother Abel. Uh, Abel was a keeper of sheep, Cain a, filler, a tiller of the ground. Verse three. Uh, in the course of time, Cain brought an offering to the Lord. A lot of scholars believe this. Like in the course of time essentially means, uh, so there was already some form of giving system that was in place. And this phrase here, in the course of time, essentially means at the bottom of the budget. Right? It essentially means after Cain had done everything he had done with the fruit of the ground, it was, oh, I guess I'll give God something. Right? And so he gives an offering to the Lord. Now look at now this next verse here. And Abel, for his part, brought the first of his flock. Their fat portion, the good stuff. Like, you know, the ribeye, not the top sirloin, right? Or the good, juicy, meaty, flavorful. And, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. Next verse. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. All right, now what is that? Like giving is a spiritual demonstration of worship and trust. And it is a prophetic declaration on who is the Lord of our lives as it relates to our money. And uh, you guys remember that story in the Old Testament where Elijah comes and, and the whole province is in a famine. This one cracks me up. And there's a gal there, she's a widow. She has no money, all right? And Elijah says, hey, what's going on? She's like, well, um, obviously, sir, there's a famine in the land. I'm just grabbing a couple of sticks to make a fire. I've got a little bit of oil. I'm gonna make one last meal and then me and my son are gonna die. And you know what Elijah says? He's like, cool, make one for me first. I promise you, go read it. First Kings chapter 17 through 21, right? He goes to this widow. He, she says, we're going to die. Cool, make a meal for me first. I don't think you get this. If we don't eat this last meal, we are going to die. Great, make one for me first. Okay, as the story goes, she does. And then it releases uh, this prophetic flow. He's like, all right, strategy just came. Go bring all of the jars around the land. And then boom, they're all filled up with oil. She pays off all of her debts and she has some left over all right so jonathan mm. hey so so two really quick things mm. i'm inspired by the alarm amen <laughs> something i've never said in the morning mm. so so two quick things i just want to highlight things that he already said but i want to i want to make them very clear that some of the transactional tithing philosophy that we grew up with is essentially, God, I'll do my part. And then now when I give, then you do yours. And the problem with that is that it fails to recognize that God did his part first. And that's the only reason we can do our part. And if we don't get that, then we'll always, every time we do something, we're looking for God to respond what we need to recognize is that every time we do something, we're responding to what he's already done. And that's crucial and foundational to, to everything in the Christian life, but especially our giving. And then one other just, and we, this was out of script here, but you just inspired me. That's the kind of leader you are. Um, that, that when the tithe was instituted after being slaves, so we have to recognize that when you 
like none of us in this room, we've, we have had varying levels of difficult lives, but none of us have actually been slaves. And when you are, I assume from scripture and then reading things over the last few hundred years about people and culture groups and society, they're the mindset that is ingrained is that you literally only are valuable for the quantity that you produce. So one of the first things that God does when they are wandering around around in the wilderness is God says, I'm literally going to nourish you by pure gift. They're wandering around in the wilderness and God is raining down manna from heaven and with birds. And so the tithe comes along to help them keep pushing back on this, I earn the things I get from God. I earn the things I get from God. No, our relationship with God is a is a pure gift. It is birthed out of pure gift. And tithe helps to keep us in that place of reminding that our relation to God is pure gift, that Christ's work on our behalf is pure gift, him sending Christ in the first place, pure gift, that it's all pure gift, that there is no transaction with God. Okay, that was all the off script, script stuff. Um, so Jesus and the tithe. So if we move to the New Testament, I, I'm not really gonna say anything now that I didn't say at Family Talk, if you were here, uh, but I, I do wanna remind us that there are just a very few references in the New Testament um, by Jesus, and they're generally directed at the Pharisees. And so one is in Matthew 23. We'll look at that, Colin. It's just Matthew 23, 23, if you put it up. And he says, Jesus is speaking in this very long discourse called the seven woes to the Pharisees. Doesn't this sound exciting? Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. Oh, I'll, I'll read the NRSV. Um, for you tithe mint, dill, and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. It is these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. Okay, so on the surface, Jesus is saying here, you should have tithed. Thank you, A plus for that. But you got the letter of the law without getting the spirit of the law, which is giving to God and caring for neighbor. It is not one without the other proves that we are missing the mark, that we're missing the spirit of what Jesus is communicating here. And with all things Old Testament law related, they point us in a trajectory that even in and of themselves, 100% fulfilling the law is not the goal. The goal is to manifest and embody the character of God. And the things in the law point us in that direction. So even like Paul says, I fulfilled the law more than any of you. And he still recognized his works as filthy rags before the Lord. So there is this, yes, fulfill the law, but the spirit of the law is much more important. Now we tend to do the opposite. And we tend to say, there is freedom in Christ. Forget the law. And Jesus seems to be pretty clear that we should do one without neglecting the others. And this whole section here in Matthew 23 about these seven woes is he's getting on to the Pharisees for being hypocritical and doing one part just to fulfill the law without really embodying the spirit of what 
was intended the whole time. So what was intended? Well, what we see from scripture, particularly in the New Testament, this is called Jesus and money. So what do we see with Jesus? We see a complete surrender of all resources, which includes money, things, and time and relationships. We see a complete surrender. And essentially it's this give all you can in every season that you can. That's, that's really what the spirit of the law seems to be. And that's, yeah, in the New Testament. So, Pastor, you want to add anything to that? Well, there's a lot to add. Um, but for the sake of time, because uh, I know there's a, there's a ton of questions around the tithe. And to be really honest, um, a lot of scholars are divided. Um, there's a lot of people that say it's purely an Old Testament deal. Um, New Testament directives don't require that we, that we bring the tithe. Um, there are some scholars that, that kind of side on the other side of things because of the spirit of the law, because of what it forms inside of us, because of the declarations that it makes, because of what it, um, because of literally how it helps to form our lives. Um, they're very pro tithe. So for the little amount of time that we've shared this with you, we're just going to leave that in your hands. If you don't want to tithe, don't. There's no, there's no pressure. There's no obligation. Do I think there's benefit? Absolutely. I think it kind of falls similar to the category of, of Sabbath. If we were to take an inventory and I would say, who's, who is honoring the Sabbath? Not 100% of our hands would go up, right? If I were to sit down and tell you, listen, if you don't Sabbath, you're going to probably going to lose several years of your life. You'd probably still go, so what? <laughs> okay. No problem. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, you know, so God's, God's not throwing curses on us because we're not honoring the Sabbath. And God's not going to, you know, I don't think God's cursing us because we're not honoring the tithe. But I do, I do feel like there is benefit for the Sabbath because it's revealed in the wisdom of God through the entirety of Scripture that's going to produce life. And I will say this, I think the Sabbath can do something for us that nothing else can do. Right? Consequ- and equally so, I also believe that the tithe can do something for us that nothing else can do. The tithe will do something in your heart the tithe will do something in your finances that nothing else to do. And I'm just going to just say this last thing on a very, very practical note, because I've been here. I, guys, we have been tens of thousands of dollars of debt at, at different parts of our lives. And we never stopped tithing and we never stopped giving in faith. And God, I believe, supernaturally, miraculously helped to accelerate us getting out of debt because we honored the tithe and because God preserved our heart, even in the midst of our mistakes. And so if you're here going, well, I'm going to wait to get out of debt before I start tithing, you'll never tithe. And it'll probably take a lot longer. I'll just be honest with you. Very practically speaking, it'll take a lot longer. Honestly, it's the only place in the Bible where God says, test me. It is the only place in the Bible where he says, prove me, try me out, try me out. See, what, see what's up. Okay, we need to shift gears here. Okay, so tithing is one, but not the only facet of giving, particularly in the New Testament. Um, so there are two other categories that we'll speak on there. I mean, if you, depending on how technical you want to be, you can find more. But essentially, there are also offerings and extravagant offerings of gifts and whatnot. And then there is almsgiving. Um, so how should we... So this concept of generous giving, we've talked about the tithe. How does it also impact these other two things and, and what might we do with those? No, that's, that's very good. So I'm just going to shift gears here as well because very, very practically, which we're going to shift gears here into a little bit of ecclesiology, a little bit of theology about the church and, and practical administration of a church. 
Um, because remember, the Old Testament use of the tithe was to support the temple and the priests, right? And so, uh, you know, I sit on a couple of boards, and this is year-end. So um, for boards, the thing that we're talking about is how do we leverage our unique events to shamelessly ask people for money to support the causes that we're involved with? And um, we can't do that in the church, right? Um, and we shouldn't do that in the church because there's already a system that's set up. And that system is the tithe and the offering. Um, so, you know, if we got up and we created these fundraisers and we created these galas and we created these events to try to shamelessly fund uh, having the, the luxury and the privilege of full-time priests and having space to come into and all the programs that come out of here, it would turn everybody off, as, as I probably think it should. Um, so practically your tithe goes to support not only this ministry, it goes to support not only the administrative, organizational and executional functions of this house, but your tithe also goes to support many local and global outreaches and partner ministries that we're connected with. Um, so I don't know if I answered, I'd probably, I kind of shifted gears here a little bit on, on yeah, you. Yeah, a little bit, but, and I'll just add one thing and I'll let you take it and, re and wrap up in that direction. One of the things I noticed um, in reading, recently reading Acts 2 again, is that we, we all want to be the early church, right? We all want to be the church of the New Testament. And then we look at that Acts 2.42 and those subsequent scenarios where it's like people are selling all they have and giving it. It's like, we want to mostly be the New Testament church, Lord. <laughs> we want to, so, like, we want those the miracles that come with shadows, Lord. That's what we mean, yeah. Yeah, that's the part of the New Testament we want. And truthfully, I know a lot of wealthy people that are very, very generous with their giving. But one of the things that I think is so fascinating when we look at the book of Acts is that it seems that the wealthy and the poor gave so that the elders of the church could make decisions on behalf of those who needed it. And we don't, okay, let me back up one, one step here. I do think that there is with each of us a responsibility to give to the church and to give beyond the church, to give to those who we see in need. And that's what I preached on just a couple of weeks ago. But there is also something to this, I don't get to be the sole determiner of who I help and who I don't, because what's still inherent in that? Control. And the point of giving, one of the points of giving, to be clear, yeah, is that we are relinquishing control of our finances. So there is also something to, we give to the church trusting that they are helping and that they are choosing where our monies go and the, the things that our monies touch. Because even that in and of itself is also a relinquishing of control. And I don't, I'm not suggesting that you should exclusively do that, but there is something in knowing that I'm giving to the church and that the church is using some of that money in-house and some of that money for helping those that are beyond the church. So Pastor Jade, Assuming that we agree that God is generous, that he owns all, and that we now want to be generous, what do we do with this? Well, that's a fantastic question. And in just the next few minutes, some of us have already heard this, particularly those of you who are members and have came to either the family talk in September or October. Um, but we borrowed the use of a tool slash template uh, from another church that Jonathan's in relationship with that Honestly, I, I think is very, very, um, it's been very, very helpful for me. 
And this is a tool that just helps to keep in front of my face and in front of my heart the, the upward trajectory with my finances, the forward trajectory of my finances, because I have a tendency to be a minimalist. I have a tendency to just be letter of the law. I have a tendency to say, I'm fulfilling the tithe. I give a little bit above the tithe and I'm good. And I just keep going on with life. And that's honestly not really satisfying the spirit of the law in either of those practices, the tithe or the offering. And, and truthfully, we're going to unroll this, this template for you, this tool for you. And if our hearts are um, obligatory, if our hearts are not submitted to what the, the tool can help lead us into, it will still be letter of the law and it won't produce life, all right? So we wanna, we wanna introduce something to you. Uh, we are not asking you to return this to us. Uh, we listened to those in the October, in the October family talk. Uh, we're so grateful for what you shared with us. And this is not a pledge card. Uh, this is a tool for you in your relationship with money and God, for God and the Holy Spirit to hopefully um, utilize this to help guide your life and your finances and your family into greater dominion, freedom, and extravagant giving. Yeah, so um, I'm going to have to step out here because the back TV is not cooperating. Uh, Colin, would you mind throwing that slide up here? Here we go. And then Vlad, if you've got the the ushers, if they have those forms, you guys can just go ahead and begin passing these out. Um, so this is something that we borrowed from some friends, another church, and it's a trajectory toward generosity, something that we're playing around with the name, but at the moment calling this the generosity pathway. And this is something that, it, and it only really touches giving within the church. And we've hopefully been very clear that we want our giving corporately and individually to go beyond the four walls of the church. But this is a pathway, hence the name, that will help us move into learning to become generous people with all of our resources. So, and you'll see this on the form in greater detail that there are explanations, but there is a pathway. And the pathway is one, by being a first-time giver. And then from that place, trusting God to be a consistent giver. And we know that if you're at a place where you've not been tithing, that's not been a conviction, then giving 10% right away is a really, really difficult step. And so we're not even asking that you make that jump all at one time, but we do think that it is helpful to say, Lord, in a, in a prayerful manner, say, Lord, we know that everything that we have is by your hand and you as an individual or you as a, as a family want to learn to trust. So God, would you help us by giving 2%? And then God, we want to increase that. We want you to increase that to 5% and help us to increase that eventually to 10%, which would be tithing giver. And then when we get to that place, for those of us like myself, who I've been a tithing giver um, since my mom would have killed me if I wasn't, you know, at four years old. That, that there is something that if we truly believe that this is a discipline to position us for the movement of the Spirit, then going beyond 10% is something that I believe that the Spirit would want to move us into. So from that place, then we, are, we would be moved to being a generous giver. And by the way, the names of these are are completely, they don't really matter. You're not not a generous giver if you're giving less than that. So we want to be very clear about that. These are just 
we, we gave them titles. And then there is also the place in time, we see this throughout scripture, particularly the New Testament, where people would give extravagant gifts to Jesus or the church on a sometimes arbitrary basis, sometimes on a need basis. I mean, we see this with the woman who broke the, the nard at Jesus's feet, and we see this other places in scripture. So there are times and seasons where we feel impressed by the Holy Spirit. Remember, if we're positioned as a sailboat, then then the Spirit will move us places, and we don't always know where or why, but we know that he's moving us. So sometimes there is an extravagant gift that we have been called to, and we want to put that before you as well, that there might be times and seasons where the Lord impresses upon your heart uh, to give something above and beyond what is normal, what is a percentage-based thing or whatnot. So this is a tool. Like Pastor Jade said, it's up here and it's on that form. Um, and it's a tool that we, I'm just reiterating, that we are not collecting, that we want this to be something you can put in your Bible, put on your refrigerator, something to be before you, that when you see it, you can prayerfully submit to the Lord, God, I'm asking that you would increase us and that you would increase our generosity. So... Standing, uh, I'm going to make a couple of closing comments as it relates to the spirit of the disciplines, and and that would be where, wherever you may be on on this path, um, whether you're a first time giver, here's what I would recommend that you do, or you are um, someone who's giving well beyond ten percent on a on a mo- weekly monthly basis, or you're um, and or you're also giving extravagant gifts from time to time. Here's what I would encourage you to do. That every time you give anything to any ministry, a local church, missions, organization, what have you, stop and pray and make that a very worshipful moment. Make that a heart transaction between you and God. Um, what I've done is I've actually crafted a personal prayer. And in that personal prayer, what is reflected in that is, God, you're the owner of it all. Uh, number two, God, I'm grateful that I have the opportunity. In fact, our family's begun doing this. Every time we go to Costco, anybody, any Costco people in the house here? Dude, Costco is, it's like heaven and then Costco, right? Um, for reals, especially the larger your family is. But we've, we've begun this, this spiritual discipline because we go shopping as a family. And as soon as we unload everything and put it back in the car, we get in the car, we close the door and we stop and we pray. And we say, God, thank you. I mean, I'm overwhelmed when I like going to Costco and I can just fill my buggy up with, you know, all kinds of box things that, yeah, it's just, it's, it's overwhelming. So it reflected in my prayer whenever I give is God, thank you. Thank you so much that you have given me hands to work with, that you've given me a mind to think with, that you've given me creativity to honor and glorify you. And in that process, there is income that comes my way. I recognize this as gift number three. And my prayer is, God, everything I have belongs to you. And so I'm choosing to, to reflect that truth by, by starting with 10 as my baseline. But Lord, if you ask for more than 10%, Father, would you speak to me? And would you help me to be sensitive on anything that you would ask for me as it relates to my giving? And on and on and on it goes. There are more things that are in my prayer. Um, and I would encourage you, either craft a prayer or get yourself in the habit of any time you give on any of these. So if you're a first-time giver, maybe you've never given a dime to the church. That's okay. That's where you've been. And it may be where you stay. But that very first time you give, I would encourage you to break through that barrier with a prayer and say, God, I am choosing to entrust into you this offering of my income. And um, I'm learning this. I'm becoming convicted of this. Or you may even say, God, I'm just trying this out. 
<laughs> whatever it might be, but just don't do it arbitrarily. Nothing in the Christian faith should be just done just because everybody else is doing it. Nothing should be done because someone's telling you to do it or, or coercing you into doing it. Nothing should be done because it's just kind of repetitive. And that includes coming to the table. You see what I did there? Come on, y'all. That was, that was smooth. <laughs> I think it'd be so appropriate, the, the declarations that we make, God, you are the owner of it all. You're the Lord. You're the Lord of my life. You're the Lord of my resources. God, I'm grateful. I give to you because I'm so grateful that you've given to me. God, I give to you because I worship you. I, I, I honor you and I worship you with my heart. Um, Lord, all of these things that we can now translate even to the table, which is both kind of, it is both a, a pastime memorial, but also a present time reality, right? Of the greatest gift that God has given to us. And so as we, as we posture our hearts to come this week, this day, this time, this moment to the table of the Lord. Listen, I know we've, we've done this hundreds of times now, some of us thousands of times. But this is today. This is this moment where we come and we recognize the beauty of God's gift, the extravagance of his gift, the reality of his lordship, the present move and work of his spirit in our lives and our gratitude for all of it. Antioch, would you stand with me this morning as we come to the table of the Lord and we receive grace. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your body that was broken for us. Thank you for your blood that was shed for us. And Father, thank you that you are an extravagant giver. Father, that throughout all of eternity, you have been giving. You created the earth and you gave it to us. Mankind was not satisfied and they committed sin and yet you gave them a covering of animal skin. God, you've constantly given to humanity and you've constantly given to us, your people. And today we say thank you. We posture our hearts to receive and we posture our hearts in worship. And we ask today that here at your table, you would do what only you can do in our hearts. In Jesus' name, Antioch, come, let us receive. Thank you for listening to the Antioch Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, visit AntiochCOS.com.